everybody to Fear and Loathing in Cinema, where we take a movie from a while ago that may or may not have been great. We revisit it and we bring you the goods and tell you if it's worth watching again and if you should own it. We've been having such a good time. It's 2023, January 17th. I'm Brian Kluger. And of course, I am joined by the jungle man himself, Dan Moran. What's up? Not much. I'm excited to talk about this one. Another one that I was pleasantly surprised with. So I am um, pretty excited here. Yes, yes, yes. And rounding out this duo to make it a trio, triple threat tag team, Preston Barta in his new digs in the jungle. What's up? How's it going? It's going well, man. It's going well. Fear and loathing in cinema. You know, the last episode you saw us tackle a little jungle movie with gorillas, <laughs> with Tim Curry, with Ernie Hudson, and a little mechanical gorilla suit named Amy. Oh my God. Oh my God. That movie is just so much fun. Its name was Congo. But so we're sticking in the jungle. We did not want to leave and we're coming to the Jungle Book, but not that original Disney classic. We're going to 1994 to Stephen Summers. The Jungle Book, which I'm sure Preston Barta, the man himself, is going to have a lot to say because Preston and Stephen Summers have a great relationship. And I'm very excited to see his take coming back to 1994's Jungle Book that has a hell of a cast. Uh, animals that are animals. <laughs> We're going to get into this. It's a but nice change. I know it yeah. is a nice change. It is a nice change. But first, but first, let's talk about we got to start uh, at the beginning. Uh, let's start with Dan. How old were you when you first saw this book? Did you see it in the theater? Did you have good expectations for it? Uh, what went on? I'm assuming that I saw it in the theater. Um, I have vivid, vivid memories of this poster and the identical old school Disney vinyl clamshell VHS owning it. And when I popped this thing up on Pluto the other night um, to watch and this poster came up, it's just, again, just like Congo, like a rush of nostalgia. I was like, oh man, I've seen this movie multiple times. I've owned this movie because you just put all that stuff in the back of your head as you get older and older. And I, I was probably eight must have owned it for a few years because every single plot point, every single adventure action moment, I knew. I knew exactly what was coming. I remembered it perfectly. And so it's all ingrained in my little brain right here. And and it all came rushing back the minute I hit play. Which is crazy because, you know, when you're like the Jungle Book, you think of that animated classic from, you know, the early 1900s, basically. And then or you think of like the more recent one from the last like 10 years the Disney live action remake, many people forget the 1994 version. And Preston, do you remember seeing this movie? How old were you? And this movie came out on Christmas Day in 1994. Do you, do you remember this at all? Oh, yeah. I saw it in theaters and didn't. I remember going to it and right next to it, I don't remember what the name of the movie theater was, but it's where the movie tavern in Ditton is now. And right next to it was a Cox video. It was called Cox video <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I loved it. So this, this one is probably, probably my jungle book movie that I grew up with the most. I didn't, 
I saw the animation film, the animated original animated film right after that I went to that screening. So, cause my parents were telling me about it. And so I saw that one first walked out of the theater, walked across the street, got the animated one and watched it. So, wow. this... so, so you were live action first. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. But um, how did you find it on Pluto? Because when I was, I had to buy it. Because when I put it in on, so I have Roku, and then when you do the search, you can see like all the different streaming services it's on, and it so is free on Pluto. When I clicked it on Pluto, that is the name of it. So it has the the author's name right in front of the title, so you know that it's from 1994. And then when I clicked on it, it took me to like a different one, like maybe from the 70s. And I was like, whoa, this isn't it. So I hope you watched the right one. I, I did. I, d- I definitely okay. did. So, um, but but yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, I clicked on it. I had to watch a little bit of commercials. I say free TV, but there's yeah. no f- nothing without ads. But um, it popped up and it had it had uh, Carrie Ulis and um, OK, the, the queen herself from yeah. uh, Game of Thrones in it, which shocked me. Shame. Yeah. <laughs> well, honestly, that's the most amazing. So far, the only thing I want to talk about in this entire movie is the fact that you saw this live action version on Christmas break, Christmas day before you had ever been shown the animated classic. And I am the complete opposite. I think the only reason I was interested in seeing this jungle book is because I do vividly remember seeing the, the animated one Mm -hmm. growing up like all the time. So that's what a different perspective that is. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess technically this one is so my son watched this with me because it was it was like a passing of the torch moment. Yeah. I was like, oh, all the movies that Brian and I are going to be doing this week, even with my bloody podcast, I can watch with him. And so he watched it with me. He was really invested. I'm sure we'll get to it. Uh, really invested in the beginning. So the book, the pretty much i guess with congo like the beginning and the end and not so much the middle right but this was his first uh introduction to a jungle book movie because i don't think he's watched the original and he hasn't watched favreau's and definitely has not watched uh andy circuses um <laughs> so uh yeah so i guess he's getting the same kind of treatment that's no that's that's awesome i, I think about how i'm poisoning my kids because i know they've seen the favreau jungle book they watched the live action dumbo because all these things get just dumped yeah. on on disney plus and so they watch them and i'm like you know that's a cartoon we can watch and it has way more songs and it's way more fun i turn it on they're like what the hell is this 2d animation <laughs> they're like they're completely like this seems slow why is yeah. dumbo so boring and i'm like okay well it's definitely a little less racist um yeah. the live action version because i that shocked me but yeah, I guess my kids are doing the same thing, seeing the live action remakes. And then I'm, I'm like, you know, that's a real thing, guys. We can watch that together. Yeah. I yeah. mean, my, yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say my wife hasn't seen it either. And so I, I just ha- I have also with Congo have not seen this in like 20 years or something. Yeah. And I remember it so well to the point when we were watching Congo, I was like, oh, like if we had started out and I was saying, tell me all the scenes that you remember from Jungle Book or Congo, I'd be like, I remember a few of them. But then as I was watching, I was like, oh, yeah, I could tell you everything that happens for it because it just like triggers something. So that's how it was watching this. And I was so the movie that it was in my memory 
was probably much better than it actually is. And it's still a fun and an enjoyable movie. Um, but it was fun to say, to tell my wife that this movie is directed by the guy who did the mummy, our favorite movie of all time together. Yeah. And so, um, and then when you're watching it, you're like, man, there's so many things that are, that yes. are align with the mummy, with the whole lost city thing. Yes. And then just like the, the, the romance there, except uh, uh, arguably um, Rachel Weiss's character is written much better. Um, yeah. Well, do, as, do you think, do you think Steven Summers wanted to make the mummy with jungle book, but didn't get to. And then when he got to do the mummy, he got to do what he really wanted to do with a bigger budget. I don't know. I'm so fascinated by his career because with uh, did he didn't he do Deep Rising too? Yes, he did. Yes. He did. So did. yeah, with Deep Rising, which I think we covered on my bloody podcast before, when it ended, it like sets up like Skull Island, and so mm-hmm. it could have been like a King Kong thing. So he was prepared to kind of take off with that, but yet yeah, he landed this. So yeah, I'm so interested with like the steps that he's taken with his career. Uh, maybe he hasn't taken the best ones from the 2000s on, but um, <laughs> um, still, uh, he's kind of like uh, kind of like the. Uh, there's another director that did a bunch of like 90s, like solid 90s action films. Like the name escapes me at the moment, but uh, he kind of falls in the, into that where he's a very interesting filmmaker that seems to have like these ingredients that are scattered across his filmography. Um, but it, like he has the same kind of templates set up. Um, but, but yeah. No, it's, it's a crazy movie that came out in 1994 because had something come out prior to this, that was the jungle book related that uh, followed the Disney animated classic that you can um, remember. Not that I'm sure there was some sort of terrible um, like jungle book Two animated one, maybe kind of how they do like the lion King Two, Simba's pride and, well, uh, there is. It came out in 2003. Okay. Oh, so it wasn't before this. But yeah, so there's all, I'm sure there's a little, there might have been something. I don't know. I can do a little quick uh, look. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it. So there's the theatrical films wise, um, 1942, there was a live action one done by United Artists in 1967, the animated film that we're all familiar with. And then this one, 1994, the second Jungle Book, uh, it's a live action adaptation by TriStar Pictures. I guess, would it be, I guess, would it be a a, a sequel to this one? So, no. yeah, I can't, no, I, yeah, it doesn't seem pretty... like it. Yeah, I recognize that poster, the, the, the second Jungle Book, Mowgli and Baloo. So, like, it's interesting, like, in the 90s, much like the early 2000s, everybody, and even even in the later 2000s, a lot of people were making or remaking Peter Pan movies. Yes. Hook, Pan, Peter Pan, Wendy. <laughs> but in the 90s, it seems like there was quite a bit of Jungle Book stuff going on. Big Jungle and Time. Yeah, jungle time. Uh, and I'm just curious on why that would be, why that was the thing. But whatever the case was, you know, Disney slash one of Vista Pictures at the time really wanted this almost serious take, not really serious take on the Jungle Book. And I guess when I saw this in the theater, 
I had already seen because I was 13 at the time. And I remember it's like, okay, I like the Jungle Book animated. Let's see how this is. It's got, you know, at back that time, I was like, oh my God, it's Brandon or it's it's Bruce Lee's son. And like I had no idea what I was thinking, because that's not the case. Um and I believe Sam Neill was in it. And I was like, oh my God, Jurassic Park guys in this. Yep. Gotta check that out. And going into it, I was real excited. Um, and I'm trying to remember, I'm pretty sure I saw this on Christmas Day with all the other Jewish people. Um well, so... I know they, they re-released the animated version leading up to this. Okay. Mm. I know that for a fact because I saw the animated version in movie theaters and I double checked with my mom last night to be like, did we ever see that? And she goes, yeah, I feel like you were seven, eight or nine and it came back to theaters and we went and saw it. So it had to be around this time to build up anticipation. It seems like they released quite a bit of animated films from Disney in the early nineties. Cause I saw Oliver and company in theaters a couple of times i remember going back like with mm. within like a couple of weeks like they were still showing it and then i was like wait that movie came out in like the 80s i wasn't alive yet how how did how did that work back then i guess they just did a lot of retro screenings right no i think they did and um you know with 1994's jungle book you know you have a great cast of people. Some of them might be unknown at the time, but your lead Mowgli is played by a guy named Jason Scott Lee, who did his had his film debut in Born in East LA. You know the uh, amazing Cheech and Chong movie. Then he got to be in Back to the Future Two, Ghoulies Three, uh, and then kind of this Jungle Book where he was kind of the star. And then surrounded by a cast of, you know, the likes of Carrie Elwes, Lena Headey, Sam Neill, John Cleese. Like, it's kind of crazy. And then, you know, how a lot of Jungle Book movies, you know, you have the animals, you have them talking. And then you have this movie. It's what do you think the dynamic was? Do you think this was supposed to be a movie strictly for kids or strictly for adults or both? Did they try to walk that line for both? Or do you think it failed, succeeded? What do you think? Yeah, I don't know what they were aiming for. Cause there are, cause uh, pretty much what I was saying with earlier about my son, like the beginning of it with like, you know, King Louie, like all the monkey noises and the spits and fart noises is appeals to kids. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a much more serious film, especially when you get to, a little further with the King Louis stuff with this like complicated dynamic between King Louis and the Python Anaconda thing that they have um, where it's like return of the Jedi where it's like, we're, or, or even like Croods two. I'm going to make a Croods two reference. Cause I yes. love that movie um, where they draw, they just like feed the beast. And um, like, I'm so intrigued by that, but it's like a very dark thing. And um, even there's a lot of adult stuff. It kind of gets kind of prequel Star Wars like with like all this uh, military stuff, like politics stuff that's going on. Um, So 
Yeah, I I don't know. I've never read uh, the original text. I know that it's a pretty dark one, and that's what Andy Serkis was going for with his adaptation of it. So I, I and I don't remember Andy Serkis's movie that much. I didn't. I do remember liking it much more than Jean Favreau's. Um, just from that's what I was wanting at the time. I was wanting something that was darker and more interesting, and so I think that's kind of where this falls. So I, I don't know. I guess it's more like preteens or something like some. Well, that's, that's what I was trying to think. Cause Steven Summers has a knack for like in, like in his mummy movies, there are moments of dread and horror, yeah. but also it's kind of family friendly. There's comedy, there's little silly bits, but also a lot of action and adventure. And I'm curious if Steven Summers was on his way to that with the mummy with the jungle book. So because there's kind of like that same tone or feel kind of throughout. Yeah, yeah. There's some dark moments of death. Uh, One in particular um, that I remember as a kid. That'd be like the one image that I remember the most from this movie uh, after 20 years is a quicksand death. Um, I was going to bring I was going to bring the quicksand death up because a lot of movies that we see, let's say, Blazing Saddles or something with quicksand, yeah. it's kind of silly. But yeah. in this movie, the quicksand is kind of like, wait, I thought quicksand yeah. was funny because like in no- Looney Tunes, it's kind of funny, but not here. No, nothing comedic about this quicksand. This quicksand, I when this popped up I and it started happening, I go, oh, I think this is actually... Wait, but just like Preston was saying, my brain was like, I think this might be a brutal death. I'm a little concerned here. And it happened. Yeah. I was like, man, yeah, they they that's Disney really going for it right here. Yep. Yep. I was I, I was shocked. Oh, I wasn't shocked at that, but I was like, okay, we're 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 doing something. So what do you think of Jason Scott Lee as Mowgli? Like, what do you what do you think about his performance? How do you think? Because he was kind of relatively unknown with this cast. Do you think it was a smart decision to go with somebody like him? Did he do a great job? Dan, what do you think? I think it sounds terrible to say, and I don't mean it this way. He looks like Mowgli. Like when I see him on the poster, when he's interacting with the animals, when he's in the costume, I think he looks like a great Mowgli. Like he, I think visually and the way he behaves and can embody at least like the... um, wild aspects of the character I think worked perfectly and I think what actually helped him is he's obviously not that great of an actor and so when he kind of becomes domesticated in the story and they're trying to make him be wear these normal clothes and be all buttoned up he looks so uncomfortable to me and a lot of that's acting but I think a lot of the rest of it is the actor who is if you read his biography and everything he did, like he, he just wants to be out there fighting and doing stunt stuff and being in some those kinds of movies. And they have them all buttoned up trying to dance with Queen Cersei. It's, it's a little uncomfortable for everyone watching. So I think, I think if you asked me three years from now, if I ever forgot doing this podcast and you're like, what does a live action Mowgli look like to you? His picture would be the first thing that comes to my head. Okay, that's a, that's a good description because I mean, in, even in the uh, in, in the poster, he looks amazing in the poster. Yeah. He's just like, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, Preston, do you feel the same way? Yeah. So it was funny when I was watching this, and uh, my wife was watching it with me. She was like, "Oh man, that was an ethnicity change from the boy to him because he because uh, Jason is." Uh, 
Hawaiian and Asian descent. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. Mowgli's supposed to be Indian. And so you see all the other actors and they're mostly Indian actors. So that that's a bit of a complicated thing. So like if you're if you're being like super serious about it, um, it, it's it's a pretty complex. But Jason is such a good physical actor, like his. Right physical performance in this uh as dan was saying like yeah he may not have the dramatic chops but it's kind of humorous because um he's kind of there's there's a little bit of this like edward scissorhands kind of <laughs> a relationship going on here especially in the beginning of it before he learns english um where he's just everything's so simple to him like he he grew up with animals and by himself for the most part and that's how Edward Scissorhands was in the way that he communicates. Like he's just such an awe of her. Like his his ro- idea of romance is just from an observation that he had when he was a kid was giving someone a flower and a kiss. And that was a great moment with that guy that's from Star Trek, um, who plays I guess like his 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 dad figure um, at the beginning that was teaching him English before the accident happened and they got separated. Um, I liked him. He was really charming and I kind of wanted like more from him in the movie, but obviously like he, he died pretty early on in the movie, but <laughs> yeah. um, it, it was just cool. Like there's like this cool moment when he is a boy and he's watching um, like w- what is romance? He learned what romance is from this like simple little thing that happened of his dad figure, giving a flower to somebody and he just kind of li- looks over at him, gives him a wink. Um, so it's just like little nice little moments like that. But uh, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It's good. I think he did a great job. Uh, Jason Scott Lee, no relation to Bruce Lee or Brendan Lee. Uh, even though a lot of people thought that at the time, but he did it because good he job. played him. He played Bruce Lee in yeah. uh dragon. Yes, yes, he did. He did. And th- this guy, Jason Scott Lee, has a kind of impressive uh, resume, you know, after The Jungle Book. You know, he did Soldier, Lilo and Stitch, a couple of the Dracula movies, Time Cop 2, um, Balls of Fury, if you remember that. Uh, and then, of course, the recent 2020 Mulan remake, which is pretty cool as well. Yeah, he's good in that. I also saw that he played... Um going through saying in a mini series he played the lead character of aladdin yeah and there's aladdin vibes in here yeah so this guy this guy is just disney man like he's played two of the biggest disney characters so and and interestingly enough uh he's in um a disney show right now that is a remake of doogie hauser md but it's like the Doogie Hauser in Hawaii, and he's one of the main roles in it. So, really? yeah, yeah, it's called Do- Doogie Cam- Camilla Oha, Cam- Camilla Aloha, MD. Aloha. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I mean, he's still doing work, and that's on now. So it's and he was in a Mummy movie in 1998 called Tale of the Mummy. Yeah. So he's <laughs> he's doing well, and but you know, like he really rose to prominence with this film but then his supporting cast around him we'll get to the animals in a second but you have you know as you wish princess bride carrie elwise you have lena hetty who you know most people don't really remember until game of thrones and then you have sam neill hot off the presses from jurassic park you have john cleese who everybody loves um and jason fleming 
you just have kind of like this cast. I mean, a lot of people know Jason Fleming probably from Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, like he's a Guy Ritchie dude. But before that, he is doing these things. And I just think that Jason Scott Lee had a lot of great people around him to make him look good too. Like, you know, I kind of bring oh, yeah. it back to pro wrestling where you know, you're selling for another opponent. A lot of people were making him look great um, in his younger days. And I mean, seeing Carrie Elwes, Lena Headway, and Sam Neill and John Cleese here, no matter how much they're in the film, is they, they do a good job, I think. And out of all these people, Sam Neill hot off of Jurassic Park, do you think this is like one of his movies that Sam Neill's like, okay, I made a hundred million dollars Jurassic Park. I'm going to take something fun. And was this his fun movie or is this a, something he wants to do? Like, what do you think? I don't know. It's a good, it's a good question. Cause I think he did mouth of madness at the same year, 1994. So I don't, I don't know what his, uh, choosing roles was like like i'm gonna do a weird one and then i'm gonna do one uh that's kind of fun maybe he maybe he really enjoyed the paycheck after um but that's after a Jurassic quick turnaround Park. yeah it's a quick right, turnaround so i don't I was, know if he felt that well like with this you're like okay it's not strictly disney with this jungle book but at least within the mouth of madness you're like i'm coming on to john carpenter film you know like john carpenter's made a name for himself stephen summer's may or may not have yet because the mummy hadn't been released really so it's kind of like okay is this the fun movie that i'm like i'm just gonna be in a jungle book with animals i mean and it seems like sam neill makes movies with animals he did dinosaurs he's been in the wilderness and stuff like that so maybe that's true he was yeah, he if you on, yeah if you follow <laughs> well, him on I, instagram he has a lot of stuff with animals so yeah this is probably a passion project for him but you got to remember he did what was it in 93 was the piano too, right? So it was Jurassic Park, piano, he did Mouth of Madness. And then I'm trying to find his IMDb. He kind of he kind of disappeared for just a little a little bit. I mean, he was working, but he did her Event Horizon and then he was just like kind of smaller roles for a while until he was like better go get that paycheck again and did Jurassic Park 3. So I don't know, there's a chance and I don't know if this is true, he may have been accidentally typecast by Hollywood. Yeah. Where they weren't offering him things. They were like, you're the Jurassic Park guy. And then you were in the jungle again. But this time it was with a man and beasts we know. And they were, they were he wasn't getting, you know, he wasn't getting the offers that he wanted and, and just took what he could. It's, it's interesting to think about that because, I mean, if he kind of slowed down after Event Horizon, maybe that's because Event Horizon's a fucking evil, horrifying, <laughs> amazing movie. And he was having nightmares. He's like, I can't anymore because... Yeah. He's so good in that, and I love Event Horizon, but yeah, there was like uh, a Sam Neill renaissance at some point. <laughs> he was like, he was the yeah. 90s guy, because, and I mean, it's all because of Jurassic Park, but with this, it's just fun to see him in this, uh, because I guess in that, you know, two or three year time period, he's really everywhere. But then you have Carrie Elwes, and with Carrie Elwes, I think does anybody hate Carrie Elwes? Even though his acting, I love him. It's always comes across like borderline silly. Even in Saw, uh, there's this kind of like a very theatrical, I'm in on it, wink performance to him. Yeah, I'll 
I'll go I'll go first cuz I may have a controversial take here. I'm sure that he is great and a nice guy and I always enjoy him in movies, but he has perfect asshole face. Like when I look at him, if, like if I saw him out in public, I'd be like, "Oh, that guy's such a dick." Like if you didn't know he was a famous actor, didn't know who he was, and so he plays into that in every role. He does. I mean, more importantly in um Robin Hood Men in Tights, he is exuding that thing and maybe mel brooks said like you have asshole face lean into it even even when he's even when he's a good guy even when he's the hero of the story you're just like this guy's kind of a kind of seems like an unlikable dick a little bit (laughs) you're just (laughs) and you're rooting for him but you're like oh man someone's gonna be annoyed when he makes it home alive (laughs) (laughs) what what, what do you think preston oh i agree 100 just because at the time that i was really watching a lot of movies this one twister a uh, liar liar even though he wasn't a complete asshole he was like an <laughs> asshole to uh, Jim Carrey's character um so yeah he 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 has like this wooden kind of presence like he's just like very good at like putting on an ex uh, his accent and then um just like this kind of like robot delivery but it's like very twirly mu- like he's very much the twirly mustache kind of villain to me <laughs> So him and Tim Curry in a movie together with their roles, right? You're just kind of like, man, that would be fun to see them in their heyday go off each other. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> see, see, there you go. We could just combine Congo cast with this one, and it would be great. <laughs> it would be great. I mean, you do have you do have monkeys here. You do have all of that. You just have some more things here, and then of course you have Lena Headey as you know Kitty. Catherine Bryden and you know at that time you know so Lena Headey is 49 years old so back in 1994 she was she was she was pretty young and so she was uh and this was like one of her first films like she was in the remains of the day in 1993 but then jungle book was right after that and so she's like early early in her career and you know it wasn't until 300 until people started to really take notice of her and then you have like terminator sarah chronicle the sarah connor chronicles and of course game of thrones which changed her life but yeah. Jungle Book back in the day, like Lena Headey. I mean, she's a great actress. I think I like her, you know? Yes. I've never seen a role where I didn't like her. And I think I didn't, obviously I've seen 300 before I saw Game of Thrones. Cause I think it came out like three or four years before and was such a cultural, huge movie, but and she was um, a big part of it too. She was a big part of it, but going back and watching some of these old movies with you guys or with other people, seeing her pop up in things and being like, Oh, they were really trying to make her happen for for a while like she got a lot of chances she got to headline the terminator show as you said um she she pops up in a lot of genre movies um, dread. she's in the first dread the first purge movie like she's yeah. she's in a lot of things and she's always always good in it but that's just one of the things that happens when you're on arguably the largest television show of the past 20 years where in my mind she's only queen cersei to me even though i just named you off the top of my head four relatively big projects and roles that she was in it's um it's but she true. was good even it's however true. old she was it is it is crazy to think that she had all of these roles and but everybody will almost for always remember her as cersei because that role is so iconic and all of that stuff and it's uh it's just it's just great press and please tell me 
Lena Hetty, are you a fan? Are you not a fan? Do you like her in Jungle Book? Uh, uh, I like her in Jungle Book, but uh, so I have never, and y'all are going to be like, what? Never seen Game of Thrones. Okay. I uh, ne- you should, never got around a, to it. So It's a bingeable one. No, <laughs> I, I, I've heard everything. I think it's just because I worked with people that just talked about it all the time. And so I felt like I've already watched it from based off of all their conversation. I was like, go ahead, go, get spoiler. <laughs> I don't care. You can talk about it. Doesn't matter to me. And so I don't have that like, uh, relationship with her with her on screen stuff um so this is this is it um for me and then um yeah with 300 and a couple but but i'm not like a huge 300 fan where i'm re-watching a lot of the stuff that she's put out i've just seen her pop up and stuff and i was like yeah like like what brian said yeah she's good she does the, she does the part um uh, i never watched the sarah Con- uh, sarah connor chronicles and so i wouldn't know um so yeah my 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 uh, intake of all the stuff that she's done is very minimal, but she does a serviceable job. Good deal. And before we move on, pressing with Game of Thrones, I know you love storylines. I lo- know you love deep, well thought out narratives. Game of Thrones is that show for you. It is like dense and amazing with and ripe with character development and story and greatness. So at at your liege, you'll you'll at some point you'll want to take a look at those. Uh, my brother-in-law has been mentioning it over and over, like even with House of the Dragon coming out or whatever it's called. Um, he's like, all right, I got to get you caught up before we watch this together. And I'm just like, dude, I'm going to go to the grave. I'm just going to do it to spite you and piss off everybody <laughs> that tells me that I need to watch this show. I, uh, so there's I respect a couple- the hell out of anyone who who purposely has a cultural blind spot that just does it out of spite. Like I have a friend who refuses to watch The Godfather. Yeah, he's like a movie, and he's just like I never saw it, so now I'm just never gonna watch it. And when everyone asks me if I love The Godfather, I just say I haven't seen it, and everyone gets so mad at me. And he goes, so now <laughs> I, he goes, he goes, I've seen enough clips of it. He goes, I get the gist, and that pisses people off even more. It's yeah. just I love everything about that vibe. So just no, do but it. like with The Godfather, you can sit down and just like, hey, we're gonna watch a movie. What we're gonna watch? All right, Godfather. With Game of Thrones, with Preston, it's like, oh my god, we're gonna have to do this for like six months straight. <laughs> it's like a lot, but I get it. I get it. We'll, we'll move on. So we have to talk about John Cleese as Dr. Julius Plumford. And does when any time John Cleese is in a movie, does he bring a certain like aura to the set? Does he bring a certain like John Cleese? What do you think? Like, do you, does he bring John Cleese, bring himself to here to, to, jungle book like we all know what he's from we all know his greatness and comedy but do you think what what do you think him in this role he was playing a character i know that sounds corny but and obviously he's playing a character because he's not there as john cleese but he could have been a monty python skit as this guy just ham it up a little bit more like he was he was having fun with it and and as far as an aura around him I think at this point, especially in the 90s, he has a distinguished Britishness about him that was needed and in the movie, but also part of what Preston brought up earlier, just like we seem to bring up with all these movies, kind of has a tone thing in there where you could see there was probably some cuts or some edits to his performance where maybe he went a little bit more comedic or maybe a little bit more silly or even tried to go a little bit more serious um and and they like found the middle ground of how he could coexist with with this other movie that was going on to me that i enjoyed 
he works for me. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious if you know Stephen Summers and John Cleese just had like <laughs> had like dude, you're doing too much, you're going too crazy, you know, like constantly they're in like this circle of like, all right, you're hamming it up too much, tone it down. And I'm curious if that actually happened on set. What, what do oh, you it, think, President or Dan? What do you think? It had to have. It had to. They had to. Re- rein him in a little bit at some point because you can see at certain points he wanted to he he had the fuse lit but, but they snuffed it out right before he went full goofball yeah for sure for sure Preston do you think the same way oh yeah yeah to, for me like he's he's the the villainous cat and Fievel goes west and so <laughs> like I just always picture uh, that register that his voice with with that role and so yeah he's very good at playing these like gentleman types or the very much so the mustache twirling villain so it's just like a lot of these actors that they have in here are like they're really good at playing like cartoon characters um so he in in this one like he gets the bare necessities line in this and i didn't i didn't expect that uh i i totally forgot that i wouldn't have connect made that connection when i was a kid and so when i heard that now i was like ha ah, i did the, i did the leo thing i was like he did it um and so yeah he has he's not like fully john cleese here like there's a lot of good stuff. like they have a great montage that's him like learning when, when Mowgli's learning English and so he's like teaching him with the slides like this is man this is woman uh engine fire and so like that whole <laughs> stuff is so much fun um and that's where he feels like he's most the most John Cleese but uh it's a very like reeled in version of it like I'm I'm sure like he had like certain parameters that he had to work within um but uh he still is fun and he brings an energy to it so i think that's why they put him in this like he would bring a certain energy to it but it just seems like they didn't allow him to just be complete john cleese uh as we've seen in other films that he's been in yeah i agree i agree with that all right let's talk about the animals because today yeah exactly you know today i feel like we would get if we got this type of movie and we did get this type of movie a couple of years ago, but they ain't using real animals like they did in this movie. <laughs> they are not. And they use like over 50 real animals here, including bears. Like yeah. we just wouldn't see this today. It's all going to be CG, you know, for the safety of the animals and the actors and all that stuff. And what a feat. Steven Summers, really, like you're not only taking on the Jungle Book, multiple actors jungle whatever but you're also working with a crazy amount of act of animal actors that could go either which way so do you think seeing this again now for the first time in a long time seeing the jungle book the disney one from a few years ago do you like cg animals or do you prefer the authenticity of real animals in a movie like this it depends uh it depends on like what they're trying to accomplish within the story. I think the CG ones work with what Jean Favreau was trying to do because they talk and they sing and they do certain things. And so obviously, unless you're trying to do like, a, uh, I guess, later air buds and uh, babe pig in the city type of approach, maybe. But um, I think for this, like it worked 
I think as an adult watching this, this is the most amazing part to watch because I'm just like, how the hell did they do some of this? Like some of it you can tell when they put like Mowgli, like it's a parallel, uh, a profile shot, side profile shot. And then you see the tiger or whatever right in front of it. Like you can kind of tell that it's a stacked image um, where they just put one shot on top of the other. Um, but still, there's a lot of like technical stuff or I don't know what the budget of this was, but like when they get to like Monkey City and they use like matte paintings and stuff like that, like it looks really it's impressive and amazing. Right. So to answer your question, this movie cost $30 million to make in 1993, 1994, uh, which is a pretty sizable budget back then for this yeah. movie. Um, and that movie ended up making over $70 million. So it made his money back and then some. But yeah, $30 million. And you got to think like how many animals, how many animal wranglers, what the safety was like, because, you know, we don't have a criterion collection of this to see, you know, all of the inner workings behind the scenes on how this worked. But Preston, you're right. Like In a more comedic tale or a more fun singing and dancing role, CG would probably be the way to go. But with this one, having that authenticity is pretty cool to see. And to see what these animal actors were really capable of is pretty amazing. I mean, I, I hope it... Uh, yeah, it's, they went Top Gun Maverick on it. Um, they, <laughs> I... Uh, I hope the conditions were good. They treated these animals right. And like, uh, but there's like a couple of moments like where I'm just like, how did they do that? How did they get a kid unless they put a, a small person with a wig on, like holding the, cause it is a real cat walking by and this kid is holding on to the tail. And I was like, no, they, there's no machine there. They didn't fool. They didn't fool us with that. Um, not a whole lot of smoke and mirrors activity going on here it, it seems and so yeah just with all the, the thousands of monkeys that they had and like how they got them to behave like it's when you're watching like some of the death scenes with like Shere Khan the tiger like you can kind of tell like they probably put an animal trainer in there like when it jumps up and it's probably just giving the the guy a, the stuntman a hug or something like that and then the way that uh, Steven shoots it with like this like a uh, very fast cutting or like a uh, bird's eye view. Um, so you can only see the back of the tiger's head um, heightens it. And so they use a lot of sound effects. And so it, it, they used a lot of movie magic to really sell those death scenes uh, or attacks. Um, but you can, you can, as an adult, if you're really meticulous film watcher, you can be looking for those things. I'm like, oh, they probably just, you know, had the guy, uh, had the tiger jump up on the guy and they cut around it. Uh, very much so, like if they have, you know, the Baloo fight, which is very much like Jungle Cruise with uh, trying to <laughs> fool the 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 romantic romantic lead into thinking that the the central character is this really tough person who's just taken on all these animals to impress the girl and save the day uh but that's just so yeah i don't know there's just a lot of really fun stuff uh surrounded by uh, surrounded uh by the animals um even with um one of the most emotional sequences is this really beautiful shot of uh mowgli running through the the jungle with the wolves behind him yes um, yes yes and with like a blue light so i don't know there's just like a a lot of really great stuff with the animals that just as as i said as an adult you're watching it and you're like i don't know how they 
they pulled this off, uh, but it looks really good, uh, especially for 1994. And Dan, did, did this movie make you want to own any wild animals? So I I did a little research. There's a um, YouTube video call from some channel called Talk Nerdy to Me, and it's the making of the 1994 Jungle Book, and it only has a little touch on the animals. Um, but it was really interesting the way that they did it. And yeah, it's a lot of training. And if you've ever seen um, the bear stuff that the guy, like the bear from the edge and um, who was really famous, his bear, those are really interesting behind the scenes on how they get them. The thing that made me laugh the hardest about the animals, because it, I don't want to say it's easy, but, you know, getting a, a panther to, you know, run up a tree um, to hit its mark, you know, that sort of things doesn't really shock me. And the uh, orangutans are so smart. And I mean, they're all smart animals, but you know what I'm trying to say? The thing that shocked me the most is in the um, Wikipedia, it says that Ka is portrayed by a computer generated and an animatronic Python. Then it has a comma and says, as well as a trained anaconda. There's no trained anaconda. <laughs> Let's just be clear. That's an anaconda that's been fed. That's all that is. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to say that you've seen those YouTube videos of like the snakes opening the doors and going in, wanting a little pet and a little kiss. I feel like they could be trained. But yeah, how do you train a snake unless you've been with it for like 30 years? I don't know. And it's some Harry Potter magic. Yeah, yeah it's so... I think that the animals were incredible. It's such a different, and like Preston said, if this movie had the songs, then these animals would be terrible. But since they went with a more um, realistic version, I thought everything looked great. My only complaint about the animals, and I know this is so petty and pathetic, but I'm going to say it anyway. Baloo should have been bigger. Baloo yeah. seemed kind of, like Baloo seemed kind of small. I mean, I know he's a bear, and I know he probably weighed like five hundred pounds. Right, but, but, but Baloo, mind... yeah, in the in the cartoons and everything, he's like this big, jolly mammoth yeah. kind right. of bear. And in here, you're just like, oh, it's a real bear. So, not so great. the fact that like force perspective, like do a little Lord of the Rings action, make Baloo look a little bigger. Um, and I know that they did use. Um, there was someone in a Baloo suit for some certain scenes in an animatronic bear suit for a couple things. I know they said that on the behind the scenes. It's also on the Wikipedia, but I'll be as a testament to this movie. I couldn't pick it out. Like, yeah. yeah, you could you could spot the fake bear, and I would have had a little bit of trouble, which I think is a compliment to the work that was done in a movie that was filmed in 1993 with real animals. So yeah. I, I loved the animals. It worked for me. No, I'll, yeah. I'll, poke, I'll poke the bear a little bit here with some of the animal stuff. Um, so. Since it's so grounded, you have when you take that grounded approach, you have to think about it realistically across the board. So I don't know how old Mowgli's supposed to be when he's <laughs> an adult, but these are some really long living animals, especially the wolf who he had when he was a as a like a pup. It was just like a baby. And then uh, we they do the whole like Lion King transition when they're, you know, running through the forest and then you get to see them as an adult and their adult forms. Um, my bit, a big complaint that I would have about um, 
I was like, obviously he has the longest relationship with the wolf and the wolf gets completely sidelined and doesn't get to do anything else in the rest of the movie. And he's, he lives with the wolves. Like the whole pack is there and um, they just don't do a whole lot uh, until like maybe the end. Um, in any throughout. version though. Yeah. In yeah, every version, be a bigger the wolf, part. The wolves always get the sh- the wolves seem like the easiest animal to, to train. They make Probably. the most sense to us watching it because everyone knows dogs and likes dogs. They're like, wait, we got a pack of wild dogs to help us out, essentially. And in every from the cartoon to John Favreau's version, from all the versions, it's just like, yeah, we've seen wolves before. Let's make sure we get a talking snake to sing. That's over. exactly what it is. People see wolves. They're like dogs. We want the exotic animals, the elephants, the monkeys, the snakes, the bears. Like we've seen a wolf. I, I, Man, you have a dog that looks like a wolf. I'll take a pack of wolves over any of the animals you just named. You give me like eight wolves and we will take out the entire cast of Jungle Book. What's Ka going to do? Ka's going to get one wolf? So you're talking to me like you want Liam Neeson the Grey in, <laughs> in Jungle Book. Mini, mini bottles in my hands. Let's go. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. So the animals, the actors, let's talk about the score by Basil Paladoris, who Basil Paladoris, you know, he did Conan the Barbarian. He did RoboCop. He did Iron Eagle, Red Dawn, uh, Free Willy yeah. under siege. And then he does Jungle Book. And then you have a song by the one, the only, the Kenny Loggins in this yeah. movie. Highway well, to the Jungle Zone, baby. Highway. It, to the it's what it zone. is. You're like, Kenny Loggins was 80s. What's he doing in the mid-90s? What's going on here? But he's sticking around. D- did the score stick out to you at all from Basil? Because I like Basil Paladoris. I do. I like his shit. I mean, RoboCop is easily one of the most recognizable themes ever. Uh, for me, Basil, this, this score, you know, does its job, but it's not memorable to me. So that, that's what that's what I have to say about it. There's a th- I I hope one of you can uh I, well I can't really recollect the the theme but there's a th- the theme song the theme tune to it is uh familiar like I've seen another composer lift it and so when I was when I was playing it, I was like I would have to go back and listen to it but I was like that I ah oh, it's in another movie somebody straight up stole that from him uh or vice versa I don't know um but yeah you're right it's it's okay it's like but it's no it's nothing to goldsmith's uh score in the mummy which is like one of the best scores of all time to me at least uh in being like this very sweeping adventure uh, like it has the it, it, the moments work like it it's it's kind of like a lot of the marvel movies like not a lot of them just kind of like stand out on their own they just kind of do the job for the moment like if it's an action moment they'll do a little upbeat if it's a romance movie they re- or romance moment they'll really lean into it and so the, the romance moments are what stood out uh, most of me since that's like such a big section of the movies particularly in the middle and so that i i just noticed that but no it's not like one that i'm gonna listen to while i uh run around or if i'm feeling romantic in my own household i'm not gonna do that <laughs> so um but yeah it's just serviceable for what the movie is it does its job yeah it doesn't distract me like yeah. I don't, I don't recognize it really. I don't think, I don't think, I think I would recognize it if you start playing it today or maybe tomorrow. But it's not a memorable score. But you know, look at the guy's track record. He's got eight scores that I probably would be able to recognize by anybody. 
So, or recognize those tracks from, as you said, the movies that you were listening, RoboCop and all those, I'd be like, wait, what's that from? <laughs> so, right, right. No, no, it's, it's, it's good. And I mean, it's serviceable. I don't think it's like coming out on vinyl anytime soon as a limited edition. I mean, it's on CD, but yeah, on the CD, it's got Kenny Loggins. So that's, that's fun. Um, home media for this, you know, it was on VHS, LaserDisc. And, you know, in 2017, there was a limited edition DVD, but like they're, they've never really released this as a big Blu-ray. They've never released this as a big 4K yet. And interestingly enough, I want to bring up is that this movie, as it sits right now, has an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. And you're thinking about this. You're like, wait, the movie that I don't even remember watching until like we brought this up on this podcast, Fear and Loathing in Cinema, wait, what, 80%? Like, people like this movie. Why is this not getting more traction? Why is this not available more places? Like, it is it available on Pluto TV? We don't know. You know it says it is. And then, or you have to buy it or rent it from, like, Amazon or maybe Vudu. But, like, it's not available most places. And being Buena Vista, that's part of Disney, how is this not on the Disney Plus channel? How is this not on a lot of these places because this is a good movie. This is like cinema history with all the animals, with all these actors being an 80% on Rotten Tomato, this movie, I feel like it needs to be seen again, re-release it and make it a big collector's edition, you know, through Arrow, like, because there's a lot of people who would probably come back to talk about this because well, it looks like everybody had a good time making this. But And, and what you're saying, the, the main thing that you're saying is this is such a hard movie to find just to watch and it's a movie owned and produced by the Walt Disney Corporation that literally has its own streaming service that has so much crap on it and movies I will never watch never see so much stuff that's just reviled for existing or huge mistakes that they made the fact they don't put a successfully reviewed live action movie on there but I can go watch there's at least four versions of Cinderella like live versions, like some of them were like <laughs> TV miniseries versions, like live music. Like my daughter the other night watched a ABC live version of The Little Mermaid, where the girl who voiced Moana was Ariel and stuff. And it wasn't terrible, but I'm just saying that's on the service. Yeah. How is this like Preston? Any any advice or any knowledge of like, why is this 1994 Jungle Book not Money. readily available everywhere? I yeah I have no idea uh it yeah maybe did uh they do like that Disney Club kind of release for this at all like I think they did a Disney Club because it's only been on VHS it's been on Laserdisc it was released on DVD a couple times but the last one they did a DVD collector's edition you know like six years ago but it has not seen like a full on blu-ray 4k release or even on a big streaming service where it's like readily available like oh netflix is showing this this is showing this it's it's a hard movie to find and i don't understand because it has a great cast and kenny loggins (laughs) and real animals like i don't get i'm trying to figure out why because i feel like this could be a movie that people can discover on disney plus and like they'll scroll through it. You're like, holy shit, I remember this. I haven't seen this in 30 years. Wait, this is actually good. Well, well, not only that, but you watch the live action Little Mermaid thing that's on the front page or the live action Encanto thing that's on the front page. And it says, you may also like, and it'll be like 
Mulan, Mulan 2. You know, just it'll go through and it just gives you all the things. So if someone watches the live action Jungle Book or the old cartoon, it's like you may like Jungle Book 2, Baloo's Magic or whatever it's called. You may like the John Favreau version. You might want to watch this 1994 version. I don't know why it's not there, as you said, to discover. Maybe it's not a front page worthy, but to not have it in the catalog at all must be some sort of producer or rights issue that we are too ignorant to understand. But hey, but I- this podcast, Fear and Loathing Cinema, is going to bring it to everybody. <laughs> it, we're going to reignite that magic for it, and we'll get it to you. Uh, yeah, this is this is Jungle Book, 1994. Um, this movie was adapted into a 1996 video game that included clips from the movie. It it provided an original story with new characters it was a whole thing this movie is good i i recommend this movie for what it is it does something different you have steven summers prior to the mummy making kind of like a almost a prequel to the mummy in in its style and tone um and it's got a great cast i recommend this movie like i recommend it more than the disney one that came out a few years ago and that's my opinion what what do y'all think yeah, I would say this one, and I need to go back and just revisit uh, Andy Serkis's version, just because, like I mentioned earlier, I think it is just an interesting adaptation of it. But I did, I was just reading through, and it just said like it. Disney wants to add stuff to their catalog that most adheres to its Disney esqueness. So if it if it doesn't follow like what they set up in the animated film, then they don't want it part of their catalog anymore. So I guess that's the reason why that there's some contract stuff with uh, Favreau to say, all right, we'll uh, lean with yours. And, and so, yeah, I don't still, I don't understand why they just can't add it to their, to their vault. So Deadpool two is on Disney plus. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Deadpool 2, like Disney, Disney S. You contradicted Disney-esque. yourself, sir. Yeah, come on, Disney. Like there's a, literally a guy who says the F-bomb every two seconds and shoots people in the head. Completely no timeline makes sense with his existence being under the Marvel banner. So give us the live action. Junk. Let's, get, live let's action. get a petition going. Come on. Yes, Stephen Summers. Let's do it. I recommend it. I, I probably, I still, you, the first one has some bangers. That cartoon, some of those songs yeah. are so damn good. Like that, you've got to give it up to the the original cartoon if if you want to hear yeah. some of those songs. It's like seventy six minutes long or something, and every five minutes there's a good song. But as far as live action goes, yeah, I would probably per- put this one on before the Favreau one. Yeah, I mean, the original Jungle Book animated movie came out in 1967 this was the hippy dippy days man so the music's gonna be good (laughs) yeah so good it's so good but like this one 1994's uh jungle book go see it if you can find it we're gonna post this podcast we're gonna hope to turn some heads and get this on a streaming service that's easy to find find it if you see it on dvd buy it because it's it's out of print it ain't coming so uh that is our uh our episode this week of fear and loathing in cinema i'm brian pluger of course there is dan moran you can find him on boomstick comics he may or may not be on social media then you have <laughs> preston barta blu-ray dad himself preston barta look him up he's on denton record chronicle he's on freshfiction.tv 
find him, say hi to him on Blu-ray dad. He's got all them Blu-rays and stuff like that. And uh, we've got an upcoming episode of my bloody podcast coming up where we're going to be talking about Paranorman and Coraline, which will be awesome. And uh, for our next episode of fear and love in cinema, we're going to surprise you with something great, but we're not going to tell you right now, but we love you, right? We love you. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for joining us. As always, we'll be back next time.